this idea of leaders looking after themselves first so that they can better look after their people comes up quite a bit. There's a reason why in the emergency demonstration, when you're getting on the plane that they say, in the unlikely case of an emergency, please put on your air mask first before assisting others. You can't help anybody else if you're not coping yourself. Yeah, Darren, it's what I call, who's caring for the carer? My name is Darren Fox, and I'm host of the Fast Leader Podcast, and this episode is about how leaders can encourage well-being and resilience among their team. In July this year, Forbes online magazine wrote The Rise of the Chief Well-Being Officer and suggested that comprehensive well-being is now so important that it has risen to the C-suite of many organizations. It also defines comprehensive well-being as mental, emotional, physical, financial, and professional. While this move is predominantly now in the health industry to help prevent and address burnout among health staff, the article is suggesting that within 10 years, this new executive role could be commonplace. There's extensive research that proves lifting overall well-being at work improves performance, engagement, and innovation, and the attractiveness of the organizations by talented candidates. Furthermore, because we spend so much time at work, well-being at that work spills over into broader social and community outcomes, and a selection of this research will be provided on our FASIC website. So helping me explore this topic today are two experts in their field. Joining me is Lucas Finch, health and well-being specialist at City Water, and Greg Holland King, who is an executive coach, consultant, and lecturer at Melbourne University. Lucas and Greg, thanks for agreeing to join our podcast. Happy to be here. You're welcome. Pleased to be here. So I think it might be good to start off with what do we mean by well-being and resilience in the workplace? There does seem to be a lot of definitions. So for the purposes of this podcast, I'm happy to use the definitions that you both use in your own work. So Lucas, uh, I might ask you for your definition of well-being and Greg about resilience, and then you know, feel free if you disagree with each other to say so and debate and you know, have a cage match and I'm, I'm happy with whatever you want to do. So, so Lucas, what's your working definition of well-being? Thanks, Darren. Yeah, I think th- there is a lot of definitions of well-being and I think that Tom Rath summed it up really well when he talks about everyone's got their own bucket and this is your well-being bucket. When your well-being bucket is empty, you're sort of lethargic, you're withdrawn, maybe depressed, you're less likely to reach out to people and when it's full, on the other hand, you're full of life, energy, optimism and you're more likely to build those social ties and what constitutes people's well-being, it's certainly multifaceted and uh, you could debate until the cows come home what the exact dimensions are. But I think the ones you mentioned of career aspects, mental, physical, social, and financial are really good ways to summarize the inputs into wellbeing, especially when you're looking at it from a workplace perspective. So what you're saying is that those inputs that were listed by the article don't constitute well-being, but they're inputs into this sense of well-being, which is that idea of being positive and, and optimistic and having that view of life and work. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Greg, what's your view or your definition that you like to use for resilience? I actually liked Lucas's definition for well-being and I, and I particularly resonated with the buckets, the buckets being full, the buckets being empty. There is a multitude of textbook definitions around resilience, but for me, it's that quality that allows us to bounce back or get back in the game when things go wrong. 
for all of us, from time to time, we're going to be in difficult situations. We all have been and we will be in the future. It's getting those skills and learning those skills to be able to just bounce back and getting in the game. So for me, the simple day-to-day definition is really around when you're knocked down, how do you come back without staying down? Mm. Okay. So it kind of sounds like well-being is almost like a goal or a situation in resilience is a skill or a capability that allows us to maintain well-being or to get back to that sense of well-being when things get tough. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Okay. Probably another good thing to have a quick chat about is why is well-being and resilience so important for people, leaders, to encourage amongst their teams? Greg, what do you think? Really, when when we think about leaders and what leadership is in compared to management, and for me, management is really around processes, protocols, procedure, governance. Leadership, on the other hand, is about relationships and getting the best out of our people. And so I think for leaders, we've got to recognise that, in fact, all people are leaders in all aspects of their life, not just work, but outside of work, whether it be in the community, family or friends. I actually think we underestimate the impact that we all have on other people It's important for leaders to be able to talk to their people about having a realistic attitude to situations, particularly at the work or at the moment when we're in lockdown with COVID. But to be able to have those, build those relationships and talk to people about issues, emotional issues that they're facing. I couldn't agree more, Greg. I think that that's a great working definition. One, one of my experiences in helping roll out and create relevance for well-being in organisations is people have got different perspectives and needs or see value in different dimensions. And I think that there's the humanistic side, which is like we all spend so much time at work. There's, there's so much opportunity for leaders to do all the things that Greg was talking about and really make an employee's experience at work an experience where someone can thrive and be the best that they can be and that that would then in turn enable them to really give back to the organisation. I think that there's this beautiful synergy that can happen, both for the employee and for the people leader. But equally, if that doesn't float your boat, there's a huge growing body of research which demonstrates the um, organisational benefit of enhancing, promoting, protecting wellbeing at work and the impacts it does have on productivity, engagement, reduced sick leave and a whole lot of other sort of measurable metrics so I think it's an exciting time to be in organizations. Great. Lucas, if you wouldn't mind, uh, if you've got like one or two favorite articles or research that you refer to quite often, we can post that and share it with our, our listeners when they download the podcast. Fantastic. We'll do. In the Fastly Leadership Program, we talk about how leaders can support their people through the change curve. But, you know, right now, we're not really in that typical change curve. We don't have a known end date to COVID and or even a known picture of that end state. So I'm interested in asking the both of you, are there key differences between leading a team through change and leading through this sense of ongoing uncertainty that we have right now? Or alternatively, if you don't think it's really that different, what are those really important overlaps that leaders should be uh, keeping in mind right now? Lucas, what are your thoughts? It's such a rich question, and one of the ironies of commenting on this is that we're all going through it at the same time. What seems to be true in this protracted, ambiguous, uncertain time is a real return to really healthy habits and rituals that help sort of demarcate and allow us to have 
the psychological space to, to respond and notice what's occurring within us all. And I think that keeping our exercise, our nutrition, our relationships, all of these basic rhythms, it's sort of a return to the basics. I think that these things have never been more important in looking after ourselves and uh, continually responding as this unfolds. Right. So what you're saying is making sure that as a leader, that you're encouraging that sort of those healthy habits amongst your staff as best you can around healthy eating and giving time for exercise and going for a walk and all those things. Yeah, I think that, I mean, we've always known that we're managing or leading the whole person, but it's never been more evident during COVID with little faces popping up left, right and centre and uh, you can actually see people's whole lives. And it's never been clearer that the leader of today in this moment really needs to be able to hold, check in and hold space for people to ensure they're looking after themselves in all those ways. Greg, what about you? I mean, do you see a difference between leading through change and uncertainty or do you see a lot of overlap? I do see an overlap. There is obviously difference, but I do think that our world of today, whether it be COVID or post-COVID, I think ambiguity is going to become a new norm. Our world in the past may have been binary, black and white, but I think people, as we move forward, are going to need to become more comfortable being uncomfortable. We're living in a world of grey, and that's okay. That's okay. We've actually going to have to perhaps change our mindset a little bit more to cope. I agree with Lucas. It's a lot of the things are coming back to basics, rituals, looking after yourself whether it be, as he said, through diet, exercise, psychologically, whatever. For me, as I said, I, I just think we need to become a bit more comfortable now being in uncomfortable situations. And, that, and to me, that'll become a new norm. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, even as a personal example, up until I think it was April this year, I was a, essentially a gym junkie for eight years. Lucas may know this when we worked together at City Water, but I was in the gym by a quarter to six every morning. Uh, before heading into the office and then you know this whole thing hit and it affected my whole routine and didn't exercise for uh, probably a good solid three months didn't do anything uh, and finally started getting back into it again this month and just within a couple of weeks I've just noticed a difference just in terms of my view and my positivity and just, just general emotional well-being just that getting back to that exercise in the last three months has made a, a big difference. Okay, so that brings us to the end of part one of our podcast. Part two will be right back where I ask Lucas and Greg for their best advice to leaders to proactively encourage better well-being and resilience in their teams. And then from a reactive perspective, how to support someone who is showing signs that they're not coping well. And then in part three, Greg and Lucas will share some personal stories about well-being and resilience. FastLead is an innovative, high-impact leadership development program for small groups. You pick the topics and learn in short, punchy and practical sessions that give you plenty of time to try your new skills in real life. 94% of alumni report that FastLead improved their leadership skills and confidence. Learn more at FastLead.com. Welcome back. Due to the nature of the work you both do, you have likely come across people who are trying to hide the fact that they are struggling from their colleagues. What are some of the signs leaders need to watch out for that might signal a person 
in their team is starting to not cope well? And what can a manager do to support that person? Greg, I thought we'd start off with you. I guess for me, as a leader or a manager, there are a, a few signs that you can really look for. One is perhaps absenteeism. Second is around safety on a lot of dangerous sites or manufacturing sites. There is that safety factor where you can get more accidents or near misses even starting to happen. So it's both the psychological safety and the physical aspects of it. Then we get to when people become emotional or really short-tempered, or in fact, they become reclusive and they move away from everybody else. So for me, they're probably my top of mind areas to look for. What's your view, Lucas? Yeah, I think that that's a, a great list. People being withdrawn, changes in behaviour. I think that changes, and it can be subtle, someone might be more withdrawn or less or behaving in different ways. And I think that managers having those weekly, regular check-ins, it's just a basic, but is so essential. But beyond that, I think that the biggest thing a leader can do is, I guess we talked about a well-being bucket before, about when you fill your bucket, you're full and you're full of well-being and vitality. I think that there's also another bucket, which is how full your head is. And if you think about that, all the you know shopping lists and things to do and my KPIs, and if all of these to-dos fill up another bucket, your psychological bucket, there's very little bandwidth less to check in with others. And I think that the greatest thing a leader can do for themselves and for others is to have practices where they empty their psychological bucket, not on someone else, but maybe through doing mindful activity, through scheduling breaks in meetings. And so that they're there. I'm imagining if I was a people leader with so much to do and hearing all of these extra signs I've got to look out for, it's another thing I've got to do. But it would be something I implore that you've got to do less and be more. And I think that the gift of time and presence and carving out space so you can be your best and, and provide that would possibly be the best thing you could do. And you, you'll notice the signs and symptoms if you do that. Mm. That's a really good point. And this uh, idea of leaders looking after themselves first so that they can better look after their people comes up quite a bit in our previous podcast. There's a reason why in the emergency demonstration when you're getting on the plane that they say in the unlikely case of an emergency please put on your air mask first before assisting others you can't help anybody else if you're not coping yourself yeah darren it's what i call who's caring for the carer as leaders these people are caring for their teams the individuals and to make sure that they themselves as leaders have got a support network that's in place but i think there's also a role for leaders to educate and act as a sort of coach and, and open up and talk about issues that may be emotional. At toolbox meetings, at lunch and learns, I was at one yesterday with an organisation where I was asked to actually go and discuss for an hour about strategies around resilience. The leader there thought it was important that his team knew more about it. And he opens up and talks about, let's, let's have a meeting and, and talk about how we are going emotionally not just how we're meeting the KPIs of production. Yeah, I, I think that that's touching on something so important. I think that the people leader themselves has an opportunity with these check-ins and skills. But to Greg's point, one of the most promising things that seems to differentiate high-performing and psychological safe teams is this ability to develop those kind of connections and build that social capital. And what I've seen and would implore that these kind of 
building of this social fabric in a team where people reach out, they understand the diverse interests of these people and needs and what lights people up. And, and the more that that exists and those conversations occur in a team, the more social fabric there is, the more chance that people will reach out. And not only that, but there's also lots of opportunities for innovation and, and those sort of divergent conversations that we all know can lead to some great ideas too. And I think one of the important things just following on from that is there could be a real benefit coming out of COVID lockdown. With people actually talking to one another through multimedia, we're actually starting to learn more about one another, what interests we have. Rather than just at work, we're talking to one another about how we're feeling, what's happening, what's going on in your home. Have you got the kids with you? Are they homeschooling or whatever? So I think this interaction, as Lucas was saying, is actually going to be stronger moving forward than it may well have been in the past. The next part of the question then is, we may have addressed it a bit before already, but what might be some of the proactive steps a leader could take to support the well-being and resilience of their team? Lucas? Yeah, I think one of the things that is especially relevant when we rolled out our COVID wellbeing strategy, I consulted with a really knowledgeable guy called Dr. Brock Bastian, who's done a lot of research into people responding from adversity. And one of the call-outs from studies looking at these populations is making these experiences people go through a shared experience. And so in addition to building the random social fabric, I think that creating those informal opportunities for people to essentially connect and basically share what's going on in real and interesting ways. And you can put structure around that by setting questions such as what is a silver lining out of COVID for you? or What don't you want to change out of the current circumstances? And I think that Creating a shared experience through delivering questions like that can really help strengthen the bonds of a team. And Greg, do you have anything you could add to that? The only thing I guess I would add is for a leader is you actually get to know what motivates your people more by having those conversations. So open up the conversations. What actually motivates your people? I know at the moment there are some people that I'm working with who are more than happy to be working from home. They don't need to be in the office. In fact, they would prefer it. And yet other people are just totally missing the socialisation part of it. So as a leader, it's, as Lucas said, it's getting to know your people, that social fabric, and the closer you can get to that, the better trust there becomes for you and your team and among your team members. As I said, to me, leadership, it's about relationships. It's setting that safe space for people to get to know one another, trust one another and work together. That's mm. a really good point. So that brings us to the end of part two of this podcast. And so stay with us for the third and final part where our guests will also share their own personal story around well-being and resilience. Experts and technical specialists have never been more important or in demand. But that's not reflected in the leadership training they're given. Unlock the business potential of experts with Expertship, HFL's new development program for the individual contributors, technical specialists, and other experts in your organization. If innovation and business agility are important to you, learn more at expertunity.global. Welcome back, and we are in the third and final section of this fascinated podcast. 
We like to finish these podcasts by getting a bit more personal. In preparation for today, I've asked both Greg and Lucas if they could think about a personal story where they may have supported someone who was experiencing significant difficulty or the own story about how they experienced their own hard times but grew better from it. Greg, is there a story that you might be able to share with us? Because of the role and the work I do, there's multitude of people that I've dealt with and worked with through this. So what I'm going to do is perhaps not just pick out one live example, but to talk about some strategies that I've used with people. And the first is around resilience. We all have a little voice in our head that talks to us. And it talks to us all the time. The question is, is that self-talk realistic or is it irrational? And for a lot of people, we tend to have four beliefs, which sometimes are irrational. The first one, and I challenge people on, is this notion about if something has gone wrong, we all have bad experiences in our life. A lot of people say it's not fair. I'm not being treated fairly or the world is not fair. Well, the reality is there's no rule of nature saying that the world is fair. In fact, the world's round. It'd be great if it was fair. It'd be great if everyone was going to treat us fairly. But reality is sometimes people don't. And we have to accept that that's a fact rather than much saying it's unfair on me. The second one I talk to people about really is when they awfulize situations. So for me, I say to people, on a scale of one to 10, how bad is this really? Now, let's be realistic about this. If you've lost a loved one, that'd be a 10. Okay, that's realism. How bad is the situation we're currently in? And let's not awfulize it. Let's actually make this a bit more realistic where we are. So I I challenge them on, on that. And The third one is really around I must be perfect at everything I do or I'm not good enough. And I see this particularly with adolescents at the moment, with social media. If I'm a female and I don't look like Claudius Schiffer, whoever I'm showing my age here, the modern-day Claudius Schiffer is, then I'm not good enough, okay? Or if if I don't get 100% or 90% on my exams or KPIs, I'm not good enough. Well, the reality is we can try to be better than we are in whatever we want to do, but we don't have to be perfect at everything we do. And the last one I talk to people about is really around my past does not equal my future. Whatever's happened to me in the past, I can learn from that, but cognitively I can change the way I'm going to be tomorrow by changing my attitude, my behaviours and the way I think. So this actually comes from a psychologist, Albert Ellis, who is the founder of Rational Emotive Therapy. But I've used it a lot in trying to help people get through really difficult situations. And it's been effective. Thanks, Greg. And uh, I guarantee you that the term awfulize is going to end up on our quotes section of (laughs) our posting on the podcast. And uh, Lucas, a story to share or alternative like Greg, some more summary points? Yeah, well-being story. Listen, I'll probably just go recent and COVID and... There was a moment early on, you know, I've got a young family and there was a moment I was typing in my room and there was noise outside, the children were going nuts and I was having to homeschool kids and my wife and I were trying to bounce work and it was so stressful. 
And after a period of time, I really noticed that it was like things are getting louder, like that psychological bucket of mine was just getting really full. I think COVID is a little bit of an amplifier like that. Like if you've got any unresolved stuff in your relationship, any work-life issues, any underlying anxiety or depression, it's going to turn the volume up on those things. And I certainly experienced that myself. And I found my psychological bucket was really full to the point where I wasn't sleeping that well. And my relationships did get strained. And I felt like I wasn't being the dad I wanted to be. I wasn't being the, the person at work I wanted to be. It was a really tricky moment. It was a a come to Jesus moment. And I think that it's important to realize that those are okay and they're signs and it's how we respond to them. Like Greg says, it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get back up. And for me, what was useful was really reinvigorating my meditation practice when the kids went up. And that's been a great addition to my day and it sort of flows into my day and creates space and the opportunity to respond and notice what's occurring in terms of how I'm in my relationship the effect of caffeine, I've really backed off on my coffees, which I love, but I realized that that was amping up my anxiety a little bit more than I probably need in the sort of an enclosed space of a house, increasing my exercise and just being mindful about all my inputs and outputs. And as a result, I suppose it's sort of like pulling up the hood and having a look at seeing how everything's working, what needs to be dialed up or down. And for me, it was a combination of meditation, exercise, connecting with friends and really integrating more mindful activity. It sounds like such a cliche, but really going outside and feeling the sun when I'm outside and savoring my relationships when I'm having a good chat with people and doing these things. And I think that that will continue. And to your point, I think I'm going to be stronger and richer and those lessons will continue to live on in me well after this whole pandemic's passed. Brilliant. Thanks, Lucas. That brings us to the end of this podcast. Could you both share a few words about your organisation? Lucas, can you tell us a bit about City Water? I work for Sydney Water. So we're an essential service provider, the largest in the country. It's a really exciting time to be in the organisation as we not only adapt to all of the natural calamities we've had and respond in the last 12 months, but also develop plans for creating the new Sydney as Sydney grows and, and how to support Sydney in new and exciting ways into the future. Thank you, Lucas. And Greg, what about GHK Consulting? We're a small boutique consulting firm and what we specialize in is increasing or lifting performance for individuals for work teams or work groups and for organizations and we have a simple philosophy that if an organization is going to improve it's about understanding and the relationships of the people that are there and it's about improving the culture within an organization so we call it an IGO individual groups and organization improvement okay thank you and thank you to you both for helping us out on our podcast today about a very important and timely topic so thank you very much Greg and Lucas thanks Darren thanks Rick you're welcome and I'll see everybody next time Thank you for listening to the Fast Leader Podcast. I'm Darren Fox, Chief Research Officer and Principal Consultant at HFL. You can email us at info at fastly.com with any questions. We'd love to hear ideas about topics for future podcasts. 
You can also check out the Fastlead website, fastlead.com, for supporting material from this podcast. Watch out for our future podcasts as we explore each of the 14 Fastlead topics in more detail and discuss some of the latest management research, news, and topical issues of the day. And until next time, this has been the Fastlead Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.